Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hello. We're, here we are, Ayers on the Road again. Uh, and we're, we're happy to be here. We're glad to be back. It's a beautiful day in March. March is kind of a transitional month for so many of us. It's uh, kind of a little ebbing time between winter and spring and we're getting a little snow today in salt lake city and um we are excited because today we're launching a series of 10 shows which will each represent something we think is really essential for parenting in fact we're going to call it the top 10 parenting ideas and we have some ability to say top 10 because we've been working on parenting ideas for 35 years and we've discovered lots of ideas around the world as we've traveled and as we've observed other families and as we've tried and failed with certain things in our own family. So I guess we could say, Linda, out of the thousands of parenting ideas we've come across, we are going to zero in on 10 that we think are really, really good and that we think will work for virtually any family. Well, hopefully, I, I do have to add that we crashed and burned on a whole lot of ideas before. We, right. We're not going to mention any of we sifted this down <laughs> uh, because we, um, just, we're just like you. I mean, we, you just keep trying things and it works for a week and then it fails and then you try something else and so on. But we really decided to come up with 10 things that have really worked for us for through the years. And we think, you mentioned a good point, Linda, there's, parenting is never a zero-sum game. There's always going to be things that, uh, you always need new ideas, because even the ones that work don't work indefinitely. And we like to be thought of not as parenting experts, but as fellow strugglers, because that's how we learn. And we're all just doing our best, and everyone, every parent I've ever met, Linda, does the best he can with what he's got. But we can always get more, and we can always learn more, and we can always try new things. And there, the thing is, it's such a, a revolving door, because something new happens every week. When people ask me how our kids are, we have nine children, and they're all grown adults, uh, most of them with children of their own. And I, I do have to say that when people ask me, how are your kids? You know, I'm just in one sentence. I say, everybody's fine except the one that's in crisis this week. Because somebody's always got some kind of crisis. I mean, usually minor, sometimes major. But, you know, there are just a lot of things that happen in life. And you have to learn to roll with the punches. So with that as a little introduction, just, just know that we hope you'll tune in over the next 10 weeks. Because we're going to do number one today. And we're going to go right through the top 10 parenting ideas. Now, the one for today, we're going to lead into it in kind of a subtle way. We're going to tell you a couple of stories to start out with, and you may not be able to guess what the, what this is leading up to, but bear with us. So the first story happened uh, a few years ago when we decided to downsize house and to move out of the house where we had raised all of our children. And some of them weren't too happy about that, Linda. Some of them were like, you can't sell our childhood home. You can't sell this place where we grew up. Where are we going to bring our grandkids? How are we going to ever show them our childhood? And we, we were struggling a little with that. And then we came up with an interesting compromise. We said, well, you know, we, we really are selling the house, but 
We don't need the furniture that's in it because it's not going to fit in the new place we're going to. So how about you get to have everything in the house, you kids? And then the dilemma came, who gets what? What if they all want the same thing? We're going to get rid of all this furniture. What will we do? And boy, did we come up with an idea. Well, actually, a friend of ours had tried this, and we thought, <laughs> yes, this is perfect. Boyd Christensen was his name, Boyd and Jean. And we love this idea. So we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We are going to have an auction. A big auction. A big auction. And actually, it was hilarious because Richard went around the house and put little numbers on every single thing that was going. Some things we were taking with us. By the way, folks, the auction is not the parenting idea. This is just we're telling you a story to lead into it. Right. Well, but you you grandparents out there may consider this. Um, and so uh, we just decided that we would just put, you know, put the numbers on everything. And then we hired an auctioneer, a real auctioneer. He had a top hat on. He had a gavel. Yeah. He could talk really fast. He was on the microphone. And we actually had two kids on phones because couldn't they be couldn't there be person. there. It was a big deal. Oh, oh, the way we did this, this is important. We, we ended up giving each of these kids about $40,000 in Monopoly money and play money so that they could bid on whatever they wanted. And, of course, the idea was, you know, that way if two people want the same item, whoever outbids the other one will, will get it. And whoever runs out of money, that's they won't get any more. They won't be able to bid anymore. So okay. it was a great system. But one item, Linda, well, the grand piano went for the most. But the second most was the item that is going to fit into this first parenting idea we're going to tell you today. Okay. Okay. Now that's the end of the first story. Um, and we hope you try that someday because we sure had a lot of fun with it. Um, now, now here's the second story really quickly. Uh, this one happened in England and this goes back further in time. This goes back to the time that we were, living in London, and we were in charge of the Mormon missionaries in, in London and southern England. And um, we had been having a lot of difficulty in our home with little kids who were in, involved in sibling rivalry and in bickering and in all kinds of fighting. And one day, while I was driving home, I happened to pass an old Church of England and out on the lawn were all these pews and and other things. The church was having a, a sale. I don't know if it was a going out of business sale. I don't I know what it was. Not. But there they were. And I was driving the, the mission van. I had a little extra room. And I bought a pew, a little pew, yeah, a hard, rickety old pew bench from the church. Now, you, you have to picture this. It's only about four and a half feet wide right right but very rickety and old and but really beautiful, beautiful in its own beautiful way. but uncomfortable made out of walnut maybe it was or, or maybe it was oak but it's a beautiful bench now you may be saying what what in the world are these stories about an auction and about buying an old pew in england what do they have to do with anything well they lead us to the first, not necessarily number one in our list of the 10 best ideas, but one of the top 10 is an idea called the repenting bench. Right. We had children that 
thought a lot. I don't know if the, you listeners out there have any experience with that or not, but I'm telling you what, with nine kids running around and um, very strong will bodies, we uh, decided we needed to do something. Somebody was fighting with somebody all the time. There were these little arguments, nah, 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 all the time, and it was driving us crazy. Well, and the problem with that as parents, as all of you parents know, is that if you try to be the judge and the jury and the enforcer on all these things, you're in a bad situation. You've got you got these two little kids that are fighting and you're like, well, who started it? Well, who did this? Well, who hit the other kid the hardest? Well, who's to blame and what are the punishments going to be? And boy, you put yourself in this horrible, awkward position. And we were finding ourselves in that position over and over every day, trying to be the judge, trying to figure it out, trying to punish, Being trying to discipline. Referee, it was exhausting. And we realized we don't even want ownership of these quabble, these quabbles. We want a way, we as, as parents need to find a way that kids can resolve their own differences. And that's where the repenting bench came in. I, we have to admit, we called it the fighting bench for several years. <laughs> But then we realized that they just went there and kept fighting. And so we set up a meeting with our kids and we said, this is what's going to happen. We have, and actually we'd been doing it a little bit before that, I think, but this just formalized it. We said, um, we have this new bench and when you fight, you immediately, we are going to say, go to find bench. You have to go to the bench with the person you're fighting with. And you have to sit there until you can figure out what you did wrong. Now, what the other kid did wrong, which is what they want to tell you. Oh, he did this and he did this. I did nothing. I did nothing. <laughs> but no, um, there's it takes two to tangle. What could you have possibly done wrong in that situation? And when you know... You call us over, or we had the babysitter engaged in this too, so that she could um, get involved, or he. And it was really funny to have them sit there until they figured out what I could have. I could have done this. Well, well, I shouldn't have hit her. Well, you know. So and, you get so you get the picture that the whole idea it was kind of like a double timeout, but they'd go there together. And, the, and, and what you said was essential, and I mean, you don't just introduce this to the kids, you have to role play it. So we would use family home evenings for several weeks, I remember successively, role playing. This is what'll happen if you're having a fight, if you're having a disagreement, you will go to that repenting bench. The only way to get off is when you figure out what you did wrong, then you call one of us over or the tender, and you tell what you did wrong, and then you Hug the other kid no, that, and you no, no, say no, no. you're that, sorry. Wait a minute. Then you, you have, can get off. you got to get this straight, honey. You, they've been gone so long you've forgotten. <laughs> Did I get a it out of order? totally out of order. You had to say to the other person, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I'll try not to do it again. And then give them a little hug. And then the other person has to, uh, and then they have to give each other a hug before they leave. But people, our question is, wait a minute, one of, what if one of them's really sorry? And then the other one is... I, I did nothing wrong and just sits there and sulks. And we said, well, that's just fine. Let him just stay there until he figures it out. And you'll have to call the other kid back so he can repent to him and say sorry. Now then, you, then he can leave. You do have to uh, modify this according to your children. I mean, if you have a little three-year-old who really didn't do much when somebody hit him, a five-year-old, then um, you have to work through that and, and make it work out. But it really is so fun. Right on through until the kids left home. It was hilarious to have big kids sitting on that bench, too. 
And oh, and by the way, yeah, I know what you're going to say. At one point, Eli, our feistiest our child, feistiest child um, when we were presenting this to him, he said, well, wait a minute. What about you and dad? Well, do you have to go to the repenting bench? Can I send you to the bench when I hear you talking mean to each other? When you're having a disagreement, can I send you to the fighting bench? And we looked at each other and we said, well, yeah, I guess you can. (laughs) And we have to admit, we have spent a lot of time on that bench. We love that bench. We we have a good time. Fun to make up. We we, we would make up in front of the kids and repent on the bench. And that turned out to be the best teaching method of all. (laughs) Yeah, that, that really was. And good for us, too. But it's just a time out. Just take a breath and think about what happened. Um, so the bottom line is that this repenting bench, and we're going to have a little more time in the second half of the show to give you further detail on how a repenting bench can work. You don't have to go buy an old pew from a church. No, England, two by chairs work fine. But our a kids, nice place that's well, our designated. Well, use the top stairs sometimes. You know, just you have to sit there until you can figure this out. Yeah, but a There's designated a place, place yeah. matters. And so the principle behind this methodology, of course, is that we want to get our kids to where they can own their own conflicts and resolve their own differences. Because after all, parenting is nothing more or less than a teaching process. And this is one of the best methods we've ever found. So let's take a brief break, Linda. And when we come back, remind me to tell a little more about the outcome of that auction story that we told at the first, and also to give some examples of how and why the repenting bench really works in a family and with what age kids it works best. We'll be right back. And we're back. We um, have been talking today about one of the best ideas we ever came up with with children and sibling revelry. Um, we're hoping that our listeners can identify with that. Um, Let's think a little about that funny word, sibling rivalry, for a minute, Linda. You know, it's just a term we throw out there. but And, and, and we say, oh, that's normal. Kids are always going to compete with each other. They're always going to compete for attention. They're always going to want to, you know, they, they, they need to have their own identity. The problem, though, is sometimes sibling rivalry becomes real resentment. You know, we, we know too many families where, Kids grew up with differences that never got resolved. And you see these families where adult children don't talk to each other, where that sort of animosity just grew over many years. And one of the things that this whole idea of instant repentance or quick resolution of things between kids, one of the one of the th- reasons it's so important is these feelings don't get buried and they don't grow and they don't multiply. And what do we all want in the long run? We want our kids to be friends. We want our kids to be lifetime friends with each other. Well, this is the interesting part. We never thought about that in the whole time. That wasn't our we idea. We were doing no. this with the repentance. Repentance we were doing it for, just to rescue ourselves. Right. Yeah. It was for our sanity because we were going crazy. And, uh, and yet as our kids grew older, we realized as we, resolve those little problems on the way through and you know i hate jim and i is so and so is you know instead of that they they resolve things on the spot and so that they felt i mean i'm sure there were still some bad feelings when there were big fights but 
Um, but they really did resolve things, and they that little hug is more important than we realized at yeah, the time. Yeah, and, and you're right, though, Linda. The initial impetus behind the idea was just that we were, I, I can't say this strongly enough, we were so exhausted as parents with a lot of young children in our home. We were so tired of trying to be the judge and the jury and, and resolve everything for them because they were strong-willed kids and they had a lot of issues. And so the whole idea of it initially was just to figure out a way that those kids would take ownership of their own conflicts and actually figure out a way and, and, and actually learn the principle that it takes two to tangle, that when you're in a conflict with someone, there's always enough blame to go around and that the trick, the skill is to figure out what you did wrong and to be able to say, I'm sorry, and I'll try not to do it again. Well, the real trick was to give the kids ownership of their own arguments. Right. And so that, I mean, you know, you don't want to be a referee. You know how you feel about those basketball referees, those football referees? <laughs> you, you, the last you, you called that be. wrong. You, that is ridiculous. <laughs> and when you're trying to figure out who was right or wrong, it is really, really hard. And may I say impossible to figure it out because you weren't there at the moment. If you give them ownership of their own arguments, it makes a huge difference. They're the ones, even though Eli's saying, you're like, I did nothing. I did nothing wrong. <laughs> and then one time he figured out, the word provoked. He looked up <laughs> the dictionary. Then he was so relieved because he used it every time. Okay, I provoked her. And he was absolutely right every <laughs> we're, time. We're putting a little too much emphasis on Eli because all of our kids were pretty feisty growing up. But he was maybe the champion. And, and it is true that in the initial days of the repenting bench at our house, it worked pretty well for everyone but Eli. And Eli would say, well, I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong. I'll sit here all day if I have to. I'm not going to say I did something wrong when I really didn't, you know, and he was so belligerent about it. Oh, sorry, Eli. <laughs> I do have to put a little footnote in here. Eli turned out to be a charm. He's the <laughs> best kid you would ever want to have. Well, he was he a actually, good kid then, too. He, he was absolutely a fabulous kid. You but. parents need to appreciate your feisty kids. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, some, that's a quality that will stand them in good stead for their whole life but and just, Andy found the most magnificent person oh to marry boy, did he ever. and she snapped him into shape right away but honestly they're, you know these kids you never know when they're fighting on that fighting bench what in the world how is this person going to turn out and we are just so lucky on Eli but, and but that is funny what you said Linda because it's true that that uh, you know I think Eli was only he was probably only six or maybe even five when he when he learned the word that you mentioned, he learned the word provoked, and he realized that that's what he always did. And so the minute he'd get sent to the repenting bench, okay. which was many times a day. Okay, I provoked her. Okay, I provoked her, can I go now? <laughs> and so he may say, well, that's not real repentance, that's just a manipulation to get off the bench. But, but still, anything that kids can do to resolve their own issues is better than you being the heavy-handed parent who has to come in and figure it all out and decide who to punish and how to punish them. And that's just nonsense. Yeah. Ownership is the key there because um, they realize that they really did do something wrong. Or if they didn't, they really are very repetitive to a little child who got something, a little child who got something they didn't deserve. So let's look at the bigger picture for a minute. What are we really trying to accomplish here? On the surface level, we're just trying to get our 
homes to be a little calmer and to have a quick way to end a conflict by sending two kids to the repenting bench and so on. But on a deeper level, what we're trying to do is teach some real principles. One is that it takes two to tangle and there's always enough blame to go around. Two is that, you know, even when you're very young, you can resolve your own issues. Three, the biggest one is the whole principle of repentance and what it means and how to engage in it. And four is the principle of friendship and that, you know, brothers and sisters, siblings are, are more important than friends. They're, they're your siblings for life and that you want to have a good relationship with them. So there's always things to teach. And I remember, Linda, so often we would, in our little meetings on Monday nights, our family home evenings, one of the things that would come up is how are we doing on the repenting bench and are we learning these principles and how do you feel about how it's going and so on. And it just became a real fixture in our home. And since then, we have taught this repenting bench thing to how many tens of thousands of parents. And we have had parents send us pictures of their repenting bench. And I mean, it's just become almost an institution. And we're so grateful for it. Well, um, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding, and that is that most of our kids are doing this with their kids yeah, because, yeah. you know, it really does. It's something that really works. Um, and, however, I think we still use this little principle, even though we don't go sit on a bench. We could have used the repenting bench last night, actually. Actually, we could have. <laughs> we had a really doozy <laughs> argument last night. And I was right, of course, and so... <laughs> <laughs> we sort of did use the repenting bench figuratively because we, we, we both finally came around to the thing we were each doing wrong, you know, so we're still learning. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's important for parents to sort through that. What did I do wrong in that situation? What could I have done better? Now let's go back to the, to the story of the auction because it's pretty interesting and we've talked a little about Eli. So picture is there in this they're all adults are adults ch children now and some some younger than others but all adults and we're auctioning off all these things in our house and um you know each each child has forty thousand dollars of play money and so one item's going another item's going and the auctioneer uh, finally comes to the grand piano and the bidding got intense and the price went up and up and up. And I think I'm just going by memory now, Linda, but I think it was Sadie that finally won out on the grand piano. And I think it cost her $20,000 of her play money. So she was just, you know, depleted in what she could bid on. But then what I want to get to is item number, whatever it was, came up as this it's this bench. It's this rickety little bench. And the bidding started. <laughs> and by the way, some of the things we thought kids had bid a lot on, like the round table where we ate dinner oh for gosh, years yeah. and years. Big round Nobody oak wanted table. It. I said, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? You don't want this table? Look, this is the black magic marker that you put on there when you were four years old. You've got to have, have this table. They're no like, bids. No, no I mean, interest. You know, it was big and they didn't have any place to put it in old fashioned. And so we just, it was really interesting to see. Yeah, it was still fairly early in the auction and up comes this item, whatever number it was, the repenting bench and the bidding started and all nine kids were bidding on that thing and it went up and up and 
up. It got up to ten thousand dollars. It well, got up to fifteen thousand dollars. You know, Eli and Noah were fighting for that, especially because two, Noah yeah. also very strong-willed. And <laughs> guess what? Noah, Noah finally out outbid Eli. $17,000. That's my memory. And afterwards, I said, Noah, you spent almost half your money on that repent bench. What were you thinking? And he said, Mom, I spent half my life on that thing. <laughs> I had to have it, don't you see? I mean, it was hilarious. And Eli legitimately said, well, I probably spent even more time than you, but I don't <laughs> have enough money to bid on it. Anyway, you get the idea. And, and when we go down to Noah's home now with his own five little kids, there in the living room of his house is that wonderful old <laughs> pew from a church in England sitting there in his house. And every once in a while, quite frequently, actually, we have the honor of seeing him send or he or his wonderful wife, Christy, send two of their cute little kids to the repentance. In fact, do you remember we were just at their house a couple of weeks ago. We were speaking for something um, at BYU uh, for the business school there, and they were going to come and help us. And we were running out the door, and as we went out the door, there were two kids sitting on that bench. That's right. <laughs> and uh, they resolved, them and helped them resolve the argument, face. and then uh, <laughs> they came and joined us. So you get the idea, and we would like to suggest that to you. Now, you can put your own adaptation on it, but again, the principle is the best parents find a way somehow to help their children to resolve their own issues and to take the, the, the responsibility for their own human relationships. And we often think of that as a kind of a grown-up principle, but the beauty of it is that little kids, even three and four year olds, have a wonderful sense of being of wanting to resolve things and of being able to say they're sorry. And if 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 nothing other than teaching kids to say they're sorry and seeing their parents say they're sorry, it's a great addition for a family. Now, can I just uh, be honest and tell you that we have had parents that ask a lot of questions about this when we suggest it, and some have tried it and have said. Wait, what do you do when a child just says no? I'm not going to no, go to the bench. I'm not going bench. to the bench. Yeah. That, yeah, I can't say enough about the importance of setting this up in a family meeting beforehand and having them Even role, role play. play yeah. And yeah, having them it. practice, practice, practice. Because You could give um, them a case study. You can say, now we're just playing, but let's remember that argument you two had yesterday. What were you saying? What were you saying? Now, let's say that happened today and then actually role play yeah. where they go to the repentance. Let's have you have that argument you had yesterday. And they usually get the giggles when they try to recreate it. But it that is the most important part because that and yeah. especially if you're starting. I don't know if you're starting with a 12 and 14 year old. It might be a little harder or a 14, 16 year old. Yeah, it's better to start when kids are young. But again, if you as the parents set the example and the kids actually know that when you're crossed with each other, you're going to go to the repenting bench, and they see that. They see your example. And older kids, if you have older kids in your family, one way to set this up is to say, you know, we need you two older ones to do this to set an example for the younger ones. This yeah. is your way of teaching them how to resolve something. So you bring the older kids into the the mix as example setters and teachers. So what do you think about uh, if a child absolutely does say no. Well, then I think you have to have another meeting. I mean, you don't want to get a, a power <laughs> struggle there. You've got you to sit down and re-explore re why are we doing this? 
why is this good for our family? Why does this make our, our home a happier home? Reason it through with the kids and then make a commitment together. Next time that happens, how many of you will go to the repenting bench and get them to vote, get them to talk it through so that everyone's united on it. And then all you've got to do is follow through and be sure that you implement. Well, the bottom line really is to work this out for how it works the best with your kids or your grandkids. I mean, if you are in charge of the grandkids when they're in your house, maybe you work out some little thing like that. I don't know. Whatever works, do it. But I, we just have to say that this has helped as much as anything we've done with our children. Now, we want to, before we end the show today, we want to invite you to make an effort to um, tune in every week. The next nine weeks, we're going to lay out the other nine ideas that we think are the best ones we've ever come across. If you miss a show, you can always listen to it after the fact on BYU Radio, or you can set it up so you get these shows on a podcast. So, good luck with all that sibling rivalry this week, and we hope to talk again next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.